0: Welcome to a new episode of the Beer Edge podcast, I'm Andy Crouch. In our previous episodes, we've had some deep conversations with brewers, bar owners, lawyers, and others in and around the American beer industry related to the COVID-19 pandemic. Their stories have been gritty, at times tough to hear, and ultimately very revealing of the situation in which we find ourselves. For this episode, we're having a very different conversation. Carl Setzer is the brewmaster and co-founder with his wife of the Great Leap Brewing Company in Beijing, China. Carl arrived in China for the first time in 2004, having just graduated from college in Alabama. He originally was going to teach English in Wuhan, the city where the COVID-19 virus is suspected of starting, but he then moved to teach English to business executives in a nearby town. After he finished teaching, Carl returned to the States and got a master's degree in international political economy and learned Mandarin. He moved back to China in 2008, right before the Olympics, and quickly got married to his wife and business partner. She was the one who encouraged him to find a hobby that made him happy, and in a tale familiar to many American brewers, that turned out to be homebrewing. The couple moved to Beijing in 2009, and he started serving beers to friends in a small courtyard complex from his small home brewery. That setup quickly garnered a lot of attention, and soon 50-60 to 60 people or night were coming by to try his beers. Carl quickly made the transition to a professional outfit, starting up his brewery in 2010. Carl and his wife now operate a series of brew pubs and production facilities in Beijing and elsewhere in China. When COVID-19 broke out, Carl had some tough decisions to make. While he ran a sizable and growing brewery operation, his wife was also entering her third trimester, and the couple learned that they would soon have trouble accessing prenatal care in Beijing. Accustomed to working remotely, the couple decided to return to his native Ohio to wait things out. Soon thereafter, the virus came to the states, China closed its border to non-citizens, and Carl finds himself in Ohio until that policy is lifted. All the while, he and his wife are running a massive brewery operation from thousands of miles away from home. Having seen the virus for a few more months than American brewers have, Carl has some timely perspective that could help American craft brewers deal with the current crisis. He also has some pretty engaging stories to tell about doing business in China. Here is our conversation. You know, Great Leap has grown quite substantially. What it was the state of the business, say five months ago?
1: State of the business five months ago was uh, we had uh, we had acquired a new property outside of Beijing for retail, so we were growing our retail from our like Beijing footprint. Uh, and extending that out to a city that we weren't really from in Chengdu, which is in the southwest in Sichuan province. Um, We had our production facility was up and running in Tianjin. So we were kind of, you know, operating a production brewery that by all logistics is about 90 minutes to two hours from Beijing door to door. And then we had four locations in Beijing that we were managing um, that, you know, one, two at one point were full service group hubs. We decommissioned the brewery out of one of those, moved it to our big production brewery as a, as a pilot system. So we kind of like converted that into a tap room only and took the kitchen out. And then, you know, our original courtyard location is still in operation, uh, temporarily closed for the COVID-19 issues, but it is still, you know, in, in our family of companies. And then another full service restaurant in Beijing. So, you know, a, a mishmash of different SOPs, uh, from just straight up tap room to full service restaurant with brewery and then full service restaurant without. And then a production brewery in Tianjin and then a, you know, new uh, full service restaurant tap room coming online in Chengdu. And so there was a lot of optimism going into 2020. Um, even in November, you know, there weren't a lot of, you know, widespread reports about, you know, any like new SARS type viral outbreak in Hubei until right before Christmas time. And so going into November, we were all kind of, you know, tempering our expectations. China is known for throwing stuff at you, whether it's a viral outbreak or not. Um, But we were, you know, looking towards the future as a representation of things that we had already gone through and kind of adjusting for, Um, you know, new roles, an uh, an expanded retail footprint, and then an ever-expanding distribution network for our small pack and draft for on- and off-premise.
0: And what were the sizes of the brew pubs and then also the packaging facility?
1: So the the courtyard um, that I I mentioned in in the background bit is our uh, smallest location. It has about 25 seats inside, and then seasonally the courtyard has another uh, 80 to 100 seats outside um, and then we've got the full service group hub that we converted to a tap room that still has about 170 seats and then our third location which is still a full service group hub um, is about a, about the same 170 and then our fourth location in Beijing is about probably about 150 seats and then another 80 seats outside. And so all kind of within the same manageability, nothing, you know, some places in Asia, especially China will go like 900 seats. So we don't do anything like that. Mm-hmm. We kind of keep it within the, the, your average American brew pub uh, footprint. And then our location in Chengdu, which opened seven days before the city of Chengdu stopped all um, commercial business activity is about 200 seats. So all, all about the same. And then the um full service or the full service brew pub we have in Beijing has a ten barrel brew house in it and then three twenty barrel fermenters. And then um the large production brewery is a hundred barrel brew house um that can do currently about seventy-five thousand barrels a year maximum capacity. We haven't pushed it that hard yet, but you know that was part of the optimism from last year. But it's actually designed to go up to about five hundred thousand barrels. Um, by simply just expanding the fermentation cellar, mm-hmm. so the the malt handling, the uh, brew house, the processing, and the packaging is all kind of spec for max mass, uh, capacity, max capacity, and then we just left a lot of wiggle room in the in the cold block. Um, and so where we would fit in America would be you know a noticeable brand of size, but for Asia it it was, you know, the, the scale of the brewery that we built for China specifically is one of the largest small batch craft breweries in the country. And it ranks, you know, top 10 for Asia as a whole. It's a, it's a really big swing mm-hmm. um, because, you know, you get one shot to do something like that. So why not swing for the fences?
0: And when did things start to, when did, you know, COVID-19 start to pop up on your radar? When did things start to change?
1: We were in, uh, we were in Chengdu for uh, right at like Boxing Day to New Year's Day and that's when it started being like widely passed around in non-official media channels. So you know, the Chinese versions of Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you were starting to see a lot of open talk about there being uh, a new SARS in Wuhan. But the initial reaction was, you know, kind of like, okay, well, there was, and I'm not kidding, there was an outbreak of the bubonic plague in China three months before in Inner Mongolia. And two of the patients that were tested positive for the bubonic plague, which, you know, shouldn't exist anymore, were brought to hospitals in Beijing. And so that was kind of like the... The preparation for the COVID-19 was, oh, this has got, you know, this is just, we're just throwing back to the classics type of a reaction of viral outbreaks and, and public health issues. It didn't really start to become concerning until information started to leak out that this wasn't something that popped up at Christmas. This was something that had been in the background for you know, five weeks before that, and that there was these rumors that it was it was spreading person to person, and it was exceeding the official narrative by like January tenth, January fifteenth. People were starting to talk very openly about it on television and in national news, and by January twenty third, the um, central government made its first like public. That this wasn't this wasn't something to not be concerned about, and then immediately after that, they closed down the city of Wuhan in what still and probably will go down in history as one of the more like shocking interruptions to like day-to-day lifestyle mm-hmm. outside of a wartime for that many people, because you've got you know at that point you probably still had about 10 million people left in the city of Wuhan that just woke up one morning and they couldn't right. they couldn't leave and there was a, a, a fair amount of concern that that was going to that policy would be replicated throughout other cities in China.
0: And how did the virus start to impact your business in the beginning?
1: Well, I mean we were actively looking at a location in Wuhan for Tap. So that was like the most immediate, you know, this is the the city that I first was exposed to China. You know, when I arrived in 2004, I stayed in in Wuhan for a couple of weeks with my friends there. It was a city that my wife and I go back to every year just to eat. The food there is amazing. The people are great, and so it was kind of in the back of our mind for a long time. That, you know, if we get something up and running in Chengdu, that's about as far away from Beijing, other than Lhasa, Tibet, that you can get and still find like a, a, a thriving Chinese city. And so, why don't if we can do it in Chengdu, then we can just start kind of marching our way back to Beijing and do a line of, you know, potential cities, including Wuhan, Xi'an, places like that. Um, and so we had just been there. we looked at this property. It was amazing. You know, uh, reminded us of our first location in Beijing. And so that's the that was the first immediate, like, oh man, now we're going to, you know, we're talking to the landlord, we were going to sign a contract, and now we have to pump the brakes there. Um But, you know, it didn't really start to impact the business in Beijing until we realized that Chinese New Year was going to be extended for another week. Because you have to, you have to remember that all of this was happening while China was preparing to shut down anyway. Mm -hmm. Because during Chinese New Year for the, for the official calendar government holidays, nothing happened some essential services are available. Uh, a skeleton crew of taxi drivers will stick around in Beijing, you know, rates for the Chinese version of Uber go up for the five days because it's, you know, a, a really, it's a really big ask to ask anyone to work for the, the lunar new year holiday. Um, and so we were already kind of like, okay, it sounds like this is, not necessarily going to be uh, an inconsequential thing. It sounds like it's going to impact business, but, you know, starting for the first, uh, the before Chinese new year, three or four days when everything just kind of stops. And then the five, you know, national holidays, we were kind of already, we had stocked up on, you know, uh, fruit, veg, uh, protein, and carbohydrates for all the restaurants. And then we had our, you know, the brewing schedule was already winding down for that eight-day period anyway. Um, it was more like, okay, if the government announces that there's going to be a Chinese New Year plus seven more days, then that's going to be when we're, we're going to have to kind of scramble to figure out, do we have enough food for the restaurants? Do we, ha- do we have enough beer in the Beijing cold rooms uh, to service demand? But then it started to become a reality that, like, I don't, you know, as, as my wife and I were with our, like, management team, it was like, I think they might actually shut down, period. Because we had already gotten a notice from the, the local authority where the production brewery was that, you know, no, no, absolutely no employees can be on site without written permission of the local advisory board until, you know, February 1st, February 2nd. And so that's when we started realizing, OK, if we can't even get access to our own property without written permission, I think, because you have to remember, you know, the, the standard rule of thumb that has been amongst China watcher, watchers for a very long time and that has been uh, uh, the, the analytical bedrock for some of the best China writers like Bill Bishop um, and some of the other like Evan Osnos and Peter Kessler is you never listen to what China says. You always watch what China does. Mm-hmm. And so no matter what they say, watch what, watch what the government is doing because that's going to give you an idea of how serious the situation that they're trying to, to manage actually is. And so when you get a written, when you get a, a proclamation from the local government saying you can't go to your own brewery, that's when we started feeling like, I think Beijing might shut down our restaurant. Yeah. I think this might be something that lasts for much longer than people are are actually saying right now. Um, And that was all happening around the time when uh, Beijing decided, or the central government decided to quarantine the entire city of Wuhan.
0: And then how did the timeline progress from there? What happened next?
1: Our hutong location, the original uh, courtyard, um, was immediately got a notice on Chinese New Year Eve saying, you're closed indefinitely. Um, No warnings, just kind of the... The local cop came in talked to our manager and said, you're going to shut down today at 8 p.m. and you're not going to reopen until I tell you to. Um, We got a similar uh, heads up two days later for our uh, second location, which was also just a tap room. And so then you start thinking, okay, the government's kind of looking through and seeing non-essential food and beverage bars that don't serve food anywhere where people are going to gather without the, the intent and purpose of eating are most likely going to be shut down um and then our two other locations the full service brew pub and then the full service restaurant in in beijing were not uh, asked to close um, one was the, the fourth location we opened in beijing was actually never a problem the local authorities for that district were great very clear about the regulations very clear about you know wanting to support us and make sure that we had everything we needed our third location which is the full service brew pub Uh, was a a lever or or a leverage point it was that that was the location where uh you know you'd have a situation where the government tells you you can't seat more than one person per table and all guests have to wear masks and you have to have you know ethanol uh, hand sanitizer available for everybody so we complied to all that but then you'd, you'd see like a group of three people come in and they'd refuse to like listen to the order and the manager would come up and say, "Hey, there's a citywide edict saying you can't sit like the way you're sitting. It's dangerous, public health, blah blah blah." And you know, anybody that's ever done business in the hospitality sector in China knows that if you politely ask somebody not to do something, or they they accelerate to, can you swear on your podcast?
0: Yeah, go right ahead. They
1: they accelerate to you know go f- your mother and f- your grandfather like mm. those are immediate responses for hey man can you not smoke in here yep not like oh hey well well you know nothing no no foreplay just right to you know i I hope your entire world ends and i'll destroy you if you ever talk to me again level language and so that was kind of the the vibe we got from these three guys and then the manager went back over and said hey and right when they were about to say could you please comply a unscheduled inspection from the city management bureau came in just so happened to find these three gentlemen not complying mm-hmm. and then told us we could either pay 150,000 rum and be fine, which is in today's exchange rate, $22,000 mm-hmm. or you can close for three days. And so we were like, uh, okay. And our manager was very, very much like we totally understand, um, We'll we'll contact you tomorrow. Uh, We promise we won't open. And then the three guys got up, and one of the guys put his hand around, or arm around the the shoulder and the neck of the city manager, and they all left together laughing. Yeah. And so there's just kind of like you get, you you basically experience the policy and the regulation based on the temperament of the people in charge of your district. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of there's we were we were getting. The idea that there was going to be an inconsistent application to the citywide mandates and they're going to be interpreted by the local officials and so we really just need to be ready for everything because you don't know when they're going to change it you don't know how your customers are going to react and you don't know how it could potentially be you know leveraged to, you know shut you down or or make threats against your business
0: and then was there a sort of district-wide or a nationwide shutdown eventually of sort of the non-essential businesses and the places where uh, consumers could essentially gather?
1: This is just kind of like where it bifurcates from what is going on here. It It was always a possibility that we would have to close all of our locations. And we didn't know when the production brewery would start back in operations. We didn't get a really good idea of that until like February 15th, but from January 23rd until now, the the government and the local authorities didn't ever make us shut down everything. And so we always had at least one of our locations open in China. The one in Chengdu was closed and then effectively reopened three and a half weeks ago. So we were closed there for about six and a half seven weeks the hutong location is still closed the second location was allowed to reopen um right around the end of february and so there was a real inconsistency to what is normal when are we going to return to normal is there a new normal but there was never it was never like i'm in, in ohio and there was never a a really clear all of these things will remain open and all of these things will be closed without exception
2: Mm -hmm.
1: it was kind of a it's very much in china it's very much a top-down structure where you know the leader no matter what the organization the leader makes a comment at a dinner or at a speech and it's left up to everybody in the downstream of his ecosystem to interpret what he really meant Mm -hmm. And we saw that in the application of how differently districts that were effectively a mile and a half separated from one another geographically could have such different interpretations of how you execute the, you can only have two people at a table, but they have to be a meter apart. And then the next day it would be one person per table and they have to be one meter apart from the next person at the next table. And at one point, there was a policy that said two people can sit at a table, but they can't face each other. Okay. So we had a lot of the we have like big uh, communal style seating. So we've got you know uh, a picnic table style um, wooden table with wooden benches that can seat ten people. And so there's these really you know esoteric pictures from our managers, just invasion of the body snatchers style non-natural human behavior where like two women would be sitting next to each other but not face each other but be drinking beer and eating hamburgers mm-hmm. and so to see that you know constant changing of what the regulation means and how best to execute the regulation at the restaurant level um, it was annoying but we were you know we were allowed to stay open uh, and, and have a certain amount of foot traffic a day which helps you know, generate cash to keep the businesses going.
0: And what, you know, how are things today? Where are things starting to get back to even normal, a new normal? Are are restrictions still pretty heavy?
1: I would say that in terms of restrictions, Beijing has kind of committed to a long-term codification of this hodgepodge of policies uh, indefinitely. And they made that announcement last week saying, you know, because of our position as the capital of China, we've made the decision to not change and or not rescind any of the policies related to coronavirus. Whereas in Chengdu, it's fairly back to normal. Um, our restaurant was able to reopen, you know, three and a half, four weeks ago. We've seen an increase in foot traffic. We've had, you know, daily inspections from the government, but Nothing in terms of regression back to, you know, close or restrict the amount of people that can come in that. Um, And then the production brewery went back online February 28th under a completely new human resources mandate from the local government. You know, we're not allowed to operate more than a skeleton crew. Um, we can't have more than 20 people on site at any given time. Our employees can't eat lunch in the same room. And all desks have to be distanced more than one meter apart. Um, and any meeting that has more than X amount of people must be, you know, carried out through telecom, mm-hmm. even though you're all in the same space. Sure. You, you, you have to maintain social distancing. We also have a new uh, three-day-a-week watcher from the government who comes and has a desk at the brewery and follows people around to make sure that we're behaving and doing all of the things that, we're supposed to be doing and so that's a, that's another don't listen to what they say watch what they do type situation mm-hmm. where now i have something that is reminiscent of maybe the 60s and 70s where if you have a commercial business that produces things you also have a new friend who comes and watches you do that to make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing um, that that is not something that is normal for businesses our size. And even in really large multinational companies in China, you would have a party secretary or a party representative that would be a part of your organization, but it wasn't like a a minder or an inspector. Uh, They usually fold it into something like, you know, the trade union representative for your workers or something like that. Um, And so having somebody that is, their their job is to be on site at my brewery three days a week, who doesn't know anything about brewing, but is there to make my employees feel like they're being watched by the local authorities is new. That's something that I hadn't experienced in you know my 16 previous years yeah. in China, but you know, it's something new every week.
0: How has the public response been? Are they sort of rushing back into the spaces or are they a little bit more ginger about it?
1: I mean, you see, you see the difference between the, the two locations that I mentioned in Beijing, where one is a, a fairly reasonable uh, regulator, and so you know we weren't ever really threatened. No one shut us down at our fourth location, and the policies were always really clearly explained, and they just appreciated that we followed and behaved. Versus the third location, where you've got a different mindset, and there's you know inconsistency of. Uh, application of control and so you don't really ever know what to do so you're usually doing something wrong and you you, kind of see the difference between the revenues and the foot traffic and our own internal um, VIP uh, mug club members how they talk about each location. you know it's very obvious where consumers are allowed to uh, consume things with normal behavior revenues are great so there is a demand but where there's government oversight, you know, the revenues are far below where they were at this time last year. And customers are, you know, it, it, whenever there's a, a, an application of a regulation that is inconsistent, people get really confused. And the first thing they complain about is your manager, right? They assume that you are not running your business right mm-hmm. because they were just at your other location and you were allowed to do this there. And then you have to sit there and be like, do we really have to have the conversation about who's really in charge. Can you please just understand that we're all in China right now and we're all just trying to make the best of a, of, of a you know, situation that no one saw coming? Mm-hmm. So can you, you know, please, my, my managers are, you know, superheroes for how they've been able to keep normal operations and no staff turnover during a situation that is wildly out of any, uh, standard operating procedure that you can you can find, and so don't add more stress by trying to make this claim that my manager is trying to screw you and your friends out of sitting six, six people deep at the table. Right. Can you please just understand what we're all going through? Right. Um, those are really the, the the indicators that I can point to is people want to go out and drink, but the majority of the population will never consume things the same way again because this wasn't like SARS. SARS was what people were pointing to before all of this happens as, oh, if you look at the economic models around SARS, it flared up, people were hesitant, and then six months later, it was business was booming and everything was back to normal. And it's like, well, SARS is, is a very different statistical set because of how it spreads it wasn't as easily transferred between people and that has really affected the psychology of how people want to interact in public and so you see people voluntarily wearing a mask sipping their beer putting the mask back on you see people not really going out with groups larger than three or four and because of the size of our tables they kind of naturally spread out a little bit and you don't see a lot of the shoulder to shoulder you see a lot of people keeping their distance while they're waiting to go wash their hands or use the bathroom. Like it, it really has affected the way that people view like regular public behavior.
0: What has been your experience in sort of watching how uh, COVID-19 has impacted uh, brewers in the United States and maybe even more specifically in sort of Ohio where you're at?
1: I, I, I mean, I was, I was discussing this with my wife before, uh, before we jumped on to do the interview and it's, it's, it's funny, right? Because right now in Ohio, we're maybe three or four more days away from the exact point when I took my family out of China in, in terms of parallel timelines, right? Everything kind of shut down. We hunkered down for, you know, two and a half or three and a half weeks and then we left. And now America is getting to the point where I kind of felt like, okay, it's time to leave and go home. Um, and the the consumption patterns are really similar. You know, we're listed on the um, the Chinese version of Amazon called Jingdong, and our beer listing in Jingdong is one of the better craft beer listings. And when this first was announced, we saw a spike. You know but it it ended up just being pantry stuffing. And then people realized, okay, I I just bought 24 or 48 cans of beer and I'm alone with my wife and my kid in my apartment for the next, God knows how long. And the rate of consumption and the rate of online sales had like a, a, a peak and then a long tail. And then, you know, whenever there was anything positive, you know, like, uh, when when the central media, uh, the central news in China announced that, you know, uh, the Wuhan city government is going to disassemble or decommission the uh, temporary hospitals that they built because the, the patient inflow is finally uh, re- retracting back down to what the normal hospital infrastructure can handle. We saw a spike in online sales. Because people were like, "Oh, things are going to get back to normal. I'm going to buy more beer. I'm going to have friends over. That kind of uh, let's celebrate. This is good news." Um, and it's really similar to the news out of New York this morning saying, you know, the the, the peak of intake for new patients had leveled off, and so there's going to be a you know a spike in off-premise consumption because people feel good. When they get good news after prolonged bad news for three weeks right um but you know i've talked to three or four brewery owners and then a couple of uh brewery installation guys for you know cooling systems brewing equipment um pretty consistently since we got back so for seven weeks and the last conversations i had with these guys you know one's in san diego one's in southern ohio the rest are all in chicago and then one's out in philadelphia and you know, talking talking to them, there was this. Oh man, our, our off-premise sales are going through the roof. I think you know it's gonna make up for the lack of on-premise and then our own taproom. And I was like, listen, you know, this is, we we saw this too. It's it's a lot of stock. It's a lot of stockpiling and a lot of pantry stuffing. But you know, you can't depend on that. And I really felt like I was the bearer of bad news because I was constantly telling my buddies, listen, even though we were able to keep two of our retail locations open across all about across both of those retail locations and across all online sales, everybody in China went down to twenty percent their normal revenue Mm -hmm. because that's just what happens. And so the differences between the two you know there's there's the civil societies of China and and America and that's what matters. That's the people. That's the culture that's the 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 society and the community and then there's who's in charge. And you, know, you can convolute the two every once in a while. I'd say that people convolute the Chinese government with the Chinese people more often, just based on the limitations of news and whatever. But like Beijing didn't pass a $2 trillion stimulus that included direct payments to individuals and grants and money for businesses to keep their payroll intact. China did not do that. Mm-hmm. And so what we were told when when this first started happening was, you know, uh, policy after policy was published through the the normal public channels um, for the government bodies that said, basically, you know, there's rumors that in right when it first happened at the end of January, there's rumors that, you know, we're gonna the government is going to curtail the Social Security payments, which is a massive part of my payroll it's about 53% of my total cost per person on my payroll is social security. And that includes like a housing stipend, their social welfare, their social health insurance, all of that. Um, And so the government in terms to try to help protect small and medium sized businesses in China might consider forgiving social security payments for three months, but they didn't really do anything with, you know, helping with payroll until you know two or three weeks into the actual issues that, that companies were starting to face. And then there was like a, a, a vague edict about how uh, the government really would appreciate it if landlords didn't charge businesses rent, if that business has been asked to not conduct commercial business during this period of time. But they didn't say there was an amnesty on rent or mortgage, they just said It would be really nice if you considered it. So we reached out to all of our landlords and was politely told to go fuck ourselves by four out of five of them. Um, And so to see, to see the immediate concern in America go to how are people going to survive this was one of the reasons why, you know, I'm a Like that's why I love America Mm -hmm. because there are a lot of things to complain about everywhere where you are. But to know that there's going to be something in the pipeline to help all of my brothers and sisters in craft beer in America survive this is something that, you know, a lot of their their peers in China weren't able to take advantage of, and a lot of them are, a lot of them are in positions right now that a lot of craft breweries are going to be in in two to three months, regardless of what stimulus they receive, because there's a certain reality of Non-normal economic behavior affecting you long term. Um, I know the BA just came out with a statistic that scared the shit out of a lot of a lot of people. Something like 43% of craft breweries won't survive this. Obviously, if you look into the data that they, they published, a lot of it is, you know, brew pub brands that just started in the last 24 to 36 months. Right. But, you know, the, the situation that is, in consideration in america in terms of how small businesses and medium-sized businesses can survive something like this is unique to economies our size because there there are you know other examples where you're kind of expected to shut up and eat it um and there really is no way to appeal and there really is no way to to find your footing because it's a public health crisis, not a war, and no one really knows how it's going to affect different communities. And so, it's really just a shut up and wait. And so, I was very hopeful that the you know the craft beer industry and the total you know uh, community of small business owners in America wouldn't have to listen to some of the things mm-hmm. that businesses like mine had to listen to in China,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which was you know you have to talk to your landlord and if they say, no, there's no real thing that you can do about it and we're not really going to provide assistance. And then three or four, three or four weeks in, we received notice from the local ministry of labor that said under no circumstances would they tolerate any layoffs during this period of time. Okay. And so even if I had to lay people off in order to, in order to tighten up my cash flow. And survive, help the business survive until I can rehire them. That was that would have technically been against the law, and my employees would have been able to file complaints against our business with the Ministry of Labor, and we would have had a long a long term issue that would have marked our business, our credit rating, everything, and the litigation side in China for labor issues takes years to resolve, and so that was basically a very quiet reminder that, you know, you are not going to be laying people off. You are going to be paying them. And if you have the means to pay them, you will pay them versus shoring up your own working capital in preparation for a long disruption. And that was another one of those moments where the dichotomies between how the two, you know, governments ensure the welfare of the people is, is diametrically different.
0: Right. So you've been here now, been in the States now for seven weeks. Um, when do you expect, you know, under, under both the COVID circumstances and, and your wife's pregnancy, to be able to return to China?
1: Right now, if I wanted to return to China, I wouldn't be able to because of the moratorium on any international travelers returning. Um, but, you know, my father lives in Taiwan. He's in Taipei. And if I wanted to return to Taipei... Like the Taiwanese, I have a similar visa for Taiwan as I do for China and they would let me in and then they would make me quarantine for 14 days. And then they, and then I could go about my normal behavior. And so if I wanted to kind of preempt the oh, reopening of China, I could go to Taiwan first, do 14 days there. And then if I if I had the passport stamps Prove that I was in Taiwan for a quarantine period. You know, Taiwan has reacted to COVID 19 better than any country in the world, far none. They've had total deaths in the single digits, and their total infections is under 500 for a country that has 23 million people. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so, if I was flying from Taiwan to a then reopened China, they would give me what's, what's considered to be a green path meaning I'm coming from a safe area. And so I can self-quarantine, but I don't have to, I wouldn't technically have to go to the central quarantine area and be under forced quarantine. But honestly, man, if I have to say the word quarantine one more time in my life, I'm going to scream <laughs> because we all, we all just want to go back to go back to our quote unquote normal life. Right. And so you know my inability to do that right now is you know i'm i'm, I'm not I'm, I'm usually not a very sensational person there are things that get my blood boiling especially in terms of craft beer industry and very specific you know ideological viewpoints within our community but there's absolutely no point in getting that mad at something you can't control mm-hmm. and so the last Seven weeks plus three weeks. So that's ten weeks, I've just kind of learned to, you know, let a lot of the stuff go. Yeah. I can't make I can't make the the appropriate authorities in China to understand my position. And the only way that I could get a special permission to go back is if I had a direct family member pass away. And unfortunately, China doesn't recognize in-laws as direct family. So even if my wife's grandmother, who is essentially my grandmother, passed away, I couldn't go back. Okay. And that to me is a really difficult thing yeah. to say out loud. I think it's the first time I've said it out yeah. loud. And so the minute I can go back and it's a reasonable time to go back, you know, not new baby plus one, like you know, if it's before before the birth at the end of June or, you know, four or five weeks after, my heart is still there, man. Mm-hmm. My entire life, my entire investment of of my life and my time and heart and passion is what we built, you know, at Great Heath Brewing. So there's no place I would rather be, but I can't, and that's a really I can't imagine a situation where you would talk to Larry Bell and he'd have to say that shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it just sounds weird. <laughs> why can't? Why can't? Why? Why isn't there a, a, a vehicle or? away and that's again you know there is a certain amount of in normal times people of different you know political persuasions will debate the efficacy of compassion and sympathy but you're not hearing those debates right now yeah. and there's a reason for it it's because who we are as people and what we what we represent as you know a country is very much trying to do what's right and failing miserably a lot of the time. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Carl, I want to thank you for taking the time, especially with everything going on. Yeah, I know you're incredibly busy trying to run an international business from thousands and thousands of miles away, while also having to deal with, you know, close quarters and your family. Thank you so much, and I look forward to talking to you on the other side of all of this.
1: Yeah, man. I I appreciate the chance to talk, but it's just unfortunate that it has to be about anything but making awesome beer and making people happy with it.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Beer Edge podcast. This show is produced by Beer Edge and co-hosted by myself and John Hall. We're available on Twitter, Instagram, and others at The Beer Edge. And check out our new updated website for more great beer content, beeredge.com. And if you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at BeerScribe or via email at at beeredge.com. We appreciate any reviews you can give on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your shows, and we'll be back next week with another episode of the Beer Edge Podcast. Until then, stay safe and healthy.